Welcome back, everybody. Episode 13, Great American Dynasty Podcast. And today we're going to be going over sort of what's happened in the postseason already from the wild card to the division series. And uh, and honestly, these wild card games were really awesome to watch, at least from my perspective. Um, super interesting, really entertaining. So starting with the AL, the AL wildcard game, Boston, New York, you're in Boston at Fenway. Garrett Cole is on the mound, and he had a rough one. Um, Two-plus innings, not exactly what you want to see from your horse, from your ace. But I thought Evaldi looked awesome, and through the whole postseason, he's looked really awesome, but specifically in this game. I think when we were texting back and forth during this game, I said the one thing that will really, if he doesn't hang that slider cutter, whatever it is that he's got, he's going to pitch really well. I mean, it's really tough to guard 98 up and in and also 85 to 89 out. And when you can consistently throw that and then locate it and have it sharp, with sharp movements, I just, it's going to be hard to, it's going to be hard to hit him. And, you know, when you go that far into a game and save your bullpen, save a lot of arms in your bullpen, um, you know, I think they only had to throw uh, three relievers in that game, if I'm not mistaken, three or four. So when you really go that far into your bullpen, when you don't go that far into your bullpen, it really helps you for the next series upcoming. But uh, like I said, Garrett Cole, that was awful. Yeah, for uh, in Cole's case, that's just one of those situations where you expect your ace to go into at least the fifth inning. And, you know, he only goes two innings as a whole. Um, he, he started that third inning and then he got pulled. Um, I believe after the Schwarber home run and three earned runs overall in two whole innings of work, that that's pitiful, especially with that $300 million extension that they gave him in the off season. Um, and then the Yankees offense, you know, they were just sputtering uh, that entire game. Uh, only four players uh, had hits and had that three hit game. Uh, Judge Rizzo and Urshela had three runs, com- had or pardon me, three hits combined. I mean, you can't rely purely on the top of that lineup uh, getting it done for you. Can't rely on Stanton's bat. Can't rely on Judge's bat. Um, I-, I feel like that that pimp job that he had on that uh, that flat. Granted, I I, th- I feel like everyone thought that was going out, especially with the camera angle that ESPN had, but uh, that, that pimp job just felt like a, a sign of things to come. Um, but yeah, Uvaldi, overall, he just want, he's just one of those guys who steps up when the light shines brightest. Um, like you mentioned, he, he's going to be that force that they just ride to the end of this run. Um, five and a third, four hits, one and run on that one home run. And eight strikeouts. I mean, you said it. If he if he's on, uh, if he keeps everything down, uh, avoids hanging the breaking ball, 
I mean, he's going to be lights out. There's, you can't, you won't be able to touch him. Um, and then overall, that, that game was just great for the game of baseball as well. They had a 7.7 million uh, viewership rating for that game. Two of the biggest markets in baseball going head to head. Um, I mean, that almost matched the World Series ratings from 2018. I mean, just for a wild card game. That is insane. Yeah, it probably helps to be the uh, the classic New York-Boston kind of rivalry. But like you said, that was just an awesome game to watch through and through. Um, a lot of action, you know. The one thing that I will say is, you know, 11 strikeouts for New York, only nine for Boston. But when you look at it, like – the strikeouts for Boston were more not in big scenarios. Um, you know, New York, I felt like when, whenever there were runners in scoring position, you, you almost, it was guaranteed that a strikeout was coming where Boston, I didn't feel that way. Um, where you only had uh, two players in double digit strikeouts for Boston. And then you had, three for New York, including Brett Gardner, Brett Gardner, who went over three with three strikeouts. So I know I, I don't really, I'm not really a big fan of, we were talking about this before, not really a big fan of Joey Gallows. Um, and I can compare him directly to Javi Baez in the sense of, I don't understand the, if it's over 162 game span, of course, hitting a lot of home runs is good. Um, hitting 30 to 40 home runs is is terrific. But if you're striking out 215 times, I'm not exactly sure that that I'm, – I'm sure that that evens out. Like you have a huge positive hitting all the home runs, but you have a huge negative striking out that many times. And it, I just don't see the point if if you're not exactly – hitting close to 50 home runs or hitting close to 250. Um, you know, when when you have Joey Gallo up, it's almost like an Adam Dunn late in the career where it's really a three outcome at bat. And when you need momentum, especially in the postseason, you can't have a three outcome at bat. When you have only a one game span in this scenario, but let's say New York moves on and they go into a five game series. Do we really expect any more from Joey Gallo other than maybe a home run here or there? No. And that's what I'm saying is that when you accumulate all these home runs and you accumulate all these strikeouts, it looks good on paper, but in reality in a postseason series, it's just not going to work out for you. And because eventually your true colors are going to show where you're going to come up in a big spot and you're going to need a, a hit, a good at bat, a walk, something to get on base, to move the stick, whatever. And you're just going to strike out. And it's just not, I, I hope nobody, no player who, I don't want to say thinks that way, but swings the bat that way comes even close to Cincinnati because it's awful to watch. It's, 
just awful for the team, awful for momentum. It is absolutely brutal to sit through. Um, but another thing I will say is Alex Rodriguez on the mic uh, for the for the commentary on this game. Um, two things, and maybe there there of course are some differing opinions about this when the New York third base coach sent Judge home on that ball in center. And to me, I, I, I see no problem with it. Um, you know, you're, you're, you've got Gallo coming up. You're, you're really forcing the, the hand of Boston, of the Boston fielders. For example, like Kike Hernandez threw a, a one hop that, Bogarts picked out perfect and put an absolute seed strike into home plate. And it, it forced that to happen. You're, you're forcing a almost perfect relay to happen. I just, I, I see zero problem with it. If, if, if let's say the throws on the other side of the plate and judge slides in safely, you, we're not even talking about this, but since he was out, all of a sudden it's everybody's, it's a third base coach fall. What, what, I just don't get that. And it's so easy to say, like, it's so easy to be a Monday morning quarter quarterback. You know, you're, it's so easy to judge things after they've already happened, but in the moment you're, you're forcing somebody to be perfect. And it just turns out that they were, um, you know, and I think it was a, if I'm not mistaken, a three to nothing game at that point, like I, I see no problem with it. Um, what did you think about it? Yeah, it's sort of the same thing. I mean, in the moment, it's easy to make a judgment like that. Um, really, like you said, you are forcing the defenders to make a perfect throw. I mean, that was that was an unbelievable play by Bogarts to pick out that that throw by Hernandez and just relay it on a dime to home. Now, granted, you know, Judge was out by a good two to three feet. But, you know, like you said, if that throws on the other side of the plate, he, he's probably that, – that's going to be a closer play than what it seemed like. So, you know, it, it's easy to get down on that. You know, I don't, I don't know why A-Rod's, you know, putting down his old third base coach in the first place. Um, but – it's whatever. It, it just seemed like that whole broadcast was just biased towards New York the entire time. Yeah, and it, especially it came out at the end, like when when Garrett Cole was getting pulled. I think it was when he was getting pulled, or it might have been at the end of the game when they lost. Uh, and the camera pans over to Garrett Cole in the dugout, and he's looking sad, and he looks like he's about to cry, and you know, he's, he's mad that disappointed, whatever. And then out of just the middle of nowhere, you just hear Alex Rodriguez say, well, look, look next year for Garrett Cole to win the Cy Young. What are we kidding? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? This is the same thing that you said the year before, the same thing you said the year before that it, it's okay to say that he pitched bad. And I, I don't understand the – I understand you played for New York for so long and you love New York, whatever, super involved with the Yankees. But, again, 
it, it's okay to say that somebody played bad. He just pitched bad, and that's okay to say. It's not gonna like hurt his feelings. Like he he probably knows it. <laughs> um, and I, I just don't. I I hate listening to it, and I hated listening to it when he was on Sunday Night Baseball uh, all year. It just seemed like whenever something happened that was bad, A-Rod always had something that he could relate to that he did better. And I've never, as a commentator, sometimes it's just, it's analysis to say, like, yes, it happened and it's bad, but, like, I I don't get the look at me, I can do it better, he's going to do this, he's... My Yankees, my Yankees, my Yankees. I, I hate it. Um, and I hope he doesn't come back, but whatever. Um, moving on to St. Louis LA wildcard game, the NL wildcard game. Another fantastic game. Um, you know, so the Dodgers end up winning three to one off a Chris Taylor home run in the bottom of the ninth off of Alex Reyes, I believe. Yes, Alex Reyes. Um, Alex Reyes has been terrific for them all year. So it's the right spot for Reyes in that, in my opinion, it's the the perfect spot. I feel like he really managed the bullpen. Well, I think uh, Schultz did, um, you know, it kind of helps when Adam Wainwright only gives up four hits and five and a third to that Dodger lineup. But Overall, I thought that game was super close, and whoever won that game, which ended up being the Dodgers, really kind of got out of it by the skin of their teeth. Um, you know, they, they better be thanking the high heavens that it didn't end up top nine, you're down by one, you've got to go win with against Reyes. But, you know. Dodgers end up moving on. What'd you think about it? Yeah, that was that was an absolute barn burner of the game. Um, I'll tell you what, it, it sort of surprised me that Scherzer was only pulled after four and a third, but I mean, because he didn't, but he didn't really have his A stuff that night. So, but he still only gave up one run. So it really, like we were talking about uh, before this it really goes to show how much uh, a veteran superstar presence really helps your ball club in big games like that. You know, even though he didn't have his A stuff, he was just able to, for the most part, other than that wild pitch that ended up uh, driving in a run, I mean, he just shut him down as a whole. The Cardinals were 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. And that really just goes to show how big uh, his outing was for them. And then um, if only Albert Pujols, when he stepped up in the ninth, just walked it off. Uh, If that fly ball he hit went maybe 15, 20 feet further, that would have been absolutely poetic to just crush the hearts of Cardinal fans. That, that would have been awesome. But uh, Taylor's walk-off home run, that'll suffice, certainly. Uh, and then Schilt gets fired as a result of that. 
one thing that really sort of irks me was why not they said that they mutually agreed to part ways why not just come out as an organization and admit that you fired the guy i mean that that's just like we were talking about that just says to me you pull him into your office as a gm and you say all right we're not bringing you back next year you can either say a i agree to not come back next year or b you can say no i want to come back next year and then we'll publish it and say that you got fired just you're firing him either way yeah just just straight all for show it, it, it's and, uh, a, a PR sort of, oh, we, we just mutually agreed to part ways. It was mutual. Everyone's, everyone's on good terms. No, you fired the guy. <laughs> that just, and then uh, Molina, uh, Yadier Molina wasn't even aware of the fact that he got fired. You know, you'd think that you're – all-star catcher who's been with the organization for going on like 20 years now would know when your manager gets fired and when you're moving on you know they said that it was a remind me it was a philosophical difference philosophical difference and they're obviously moving more towards um, more towards metrics and statistics and that's everything like that. But, you know, you, you think you, you clue your star player in on, you know, where the organization is moving as a whole, that, that boggles my mind. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't get the move. I really don't. Um, you know, I, I felt like the Cardinals were left for dead coming into September. And then you go on that huge winning streak. Um, and that's really why you made the playoffs. Um, you know, maybe that's, they thought they got lucky in a sense, but I'm just, I'm not sure. I, I thought he's the, I guess the rumor around baseball is that Schilt's really a player's manager, just like David Bell is. Um, and he'll really stand up for his players and, you know, things like that, things of that nature. And I just really don't understand it. Um, you, Flaherty was injured for most of the year. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Arenado missed some time too. Um, I, I'm just not, I just don't get it. I, if it's, I feel like you had success and you have proven results to where you have a, now I hate to say this, but you have a pretty decent ball club. And I just don't think you're going to get any better than Mike Schilt. Um, just my opinion. But always great to see St. Louis get eliminated. I don't care how early or how late it is, as long as they're, as long as it gets done. Um Okay, moving on to the division series. So just to recap, uh, in the AL, Boston won the series 3-1 to over Tampa Bay. 
Houston won three to one over the White Sox. LA won three to two over San Francisco. And Atlanta won three to one over Milwaukee. We'll start in the AL with the Boston Tampa Bay. Um, you know, again, Evaldi just absolutely fantastic. And what really stuck out to me is I think after I, I forget which game that he threw in, they're all starting to kind of jumble together. But after he threw in his game, the day after, it was reported that he went into Alex Cora's office and said that he's available to pitch the next day for for uh, in relief. And I, I really like, okay, so here it is. In game three, he threw five innings. He threw 85 pitches. And the very next day, he went into Alex Cora's office and said he was available to pitch to close out the series. And I think, you know, over the broadcast, they said that how he was just uh, really respected and everything like that. And it's, I think it's showing. I think it's just um, that's the kind of person he is. And I think it's showing on the field where he's literally shutting down offenses. Um, it's really impressive to see. Oh yeah, and you know, like he said, like we said, I mean, he's gonna be the guy that they ride all the way through because he is that guy who can step up when it matters the most. And speaking of guys who step up when it matters the most, TK Hernandez. I mean, he's he's probably gonna end up being the postseason MVP, uh, depending on how far Boston goes in this. He's 18 for 36 in the postseason thus far. I mean, that is a – the Dodgers told this guy to walk. And the Red Sox picked him up for two years, $14 million. That is a huge pickup for a guy who was probably one of the franchise co- cornerstones for the Dodgers for the most part of the 2010s. And, you know, he's a utility player who can just – who's flat-out athletic, can do it with the bat. Not quite a defensive wizard, but he will make plays. He will make huge plays from time to time. Um, you know, overall, this was a major upset. That was really surprising after that game one route um, by the Rays. It was a five to nothing win. You know, they were all relaxed. They were in the dugout eating popcorn, and then the next night they come out and they beat. And they beat the Rays 14 to 6. I mean, if that's not a wake up call, I don't know what is. And then they finally, uh, the next night, they go 13 innings uh, in that marathon that ended up being a 6 4 win for the Sox. And then they close it out the next night. That's the only thing that I'll say if the Red Sox really want to go on a deep run. Uh, and, and win a World Series is they can't go on cruise control after getting big leads. And we'll get to that later when we talk about uh, the current situation with the ALCS. Um, but they just, it seems like whenever they jump out, they just sort of just go on cruise control, kind of lay back. And, and you know, to a certain extent, it's okay to do that 
you know, after you jump out to like a, a big lead uh, early on in the game, but you know, you, you still got 27 outs in a ball game to work with. So, you know, you still got to score runs. Guys are going to be trying. It's a postseason. So, you, you got to give your 110% for 27 outs and nine innings. Yeah. And also, like, it, it's the same thing on, like, the bullpen. Like, when you jump out to that big of a lead, you're, you're playing for the next day then. And you cannot burn arms in the bullpen. Just cannot do it. And it's the one thing in this series that I when when this happened, I thought that I was going crazy. Um so in that last game, um the Rays started an opener. They started Colin McHugh is his name. Um, decent pitcher. Okay. But they started an opener behind a starter that has never done that before. That is, if I'm not mistaken, started he, – he pitched in – every game he pitched in in the regular season, he started. So I – and this is, again, where – we're going to talk about this a little bit later on with the the LA and the San Francisco series as well. But when you ask a guy to do that, that has not done that, that doesn't, um, let's just say doesn't have, I don't, I don't think that there was a lot of time to prepare for it. Um, it was kind of last minute thrown together. When, why go away from the things that have been working all year? You don't have to, I really do think that this was a situation of overmanaging and trying to overdo it instead of really just doing what you guys have been doing all year long. And I'm I'm just not sure why why all of a sudden the guy who started all year now has to come in in the second inning. Um, you know, he ends up giving up five runs. You lose that game. Still, I, w- I will never, never get that. Um, but I, I will give it props to Boston in the sense of I feel like in those last three games, they scored enough to where their bullpen, they didn't have to throw everything that they had all at once. Um, and it really, when you put up runs early like that, I think just like you said, after that first game, when Tampa Bay put up two in the first inning, I was like, series is over, call it. And especially after they won that first game and they didn't allow a run, I thought this series was completely over. Um, but I think just props to Boston and props, props to uh, really having tough at-bats all series. Right, and, and like you said, that, that opener statistical mentality – it just got exposed for the Rays. I mean, you stretch your bullpen so thin. I mean, Kevin Cash, you cannot replace the human trait of management and knowing your players with what a stat sheet says. I mean, we, we've talked about this. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. 
you know, this sort of mentality only works during the regular season over 162 games when, you know, you have these guys who are, you know, you give them time to go ahead and heal and you give them rest. But not in the postseason when you only have, you know, in, in the division series, when you only have possibly only have three games to work with. You know, five games overall, but overall, the their organization really needs to reconsider this philosophy because this is exactly what lost them the World Series a year ago. Um, you know, no matter if you say you know, it doesn't count because it was a COVID season, but, but you know, who cares? Because overall, it, it's not, it doesn't work. It, it's been proven time and time again that a stat sheet cannot replace the human intuition of knowing your players and knowing their limits as a player. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. It it works in 162 games, just like Joey Gallo. Like those stats, those accumulation stats will work when you're managing and. Uh, managing bullpen, managing relief appearances, things of that nature, where you're kind of taking a a whole team mentality through it. But eventually, we have to get to a point where you've you've got to let your your best pitchers pitch. You you only have a limited amount of time in the playoffs. Where why aren't you throwing? He's been one of your best pitchers all year. Why don't you throw him? I, I will not and never understand the mentality of choosing your spots with the guy that's supposed to be the ace of the staff or one of the best three pitchers on the staff. He's You're not going to do it with – take a hitter, for example. Take uh, just in this series. Um, take like a J.D. Martinez. You're rolling J.D. Martinez out there every night. I don't care where he has to hit in the order. He's a phenomenal hitter, and you're going to put him in every single night. Does not matter the matchup. Does not matter the situation. Does not matter the game. You're going to roll him out there. With a starting pitcher, you started him all year, and then all of a sudden, because it's the postseason, now we're going to try to do something cool and and try to do something different. Why? You, you won 100 games doing – like starting him all year. I, I have zero. It has to change. Just like you said, when you get to the postseason, Kevin Cash has got to adjust um, something. It, it cannot be the same thing where you're starting an opener and then forcing a guy to do something he's never done before and be perfect basically. Because if you lose that game, you go home. So again, we'll never get it, but if they want to keep losing, they can keep doing it, I guess. Um, moving on to the other AL series. This was – I was rooting for the White Sox. Um, you know, I I don't really like to see that team win, but – I don't like to see Houston win, but I, I really – the White Sox are a super fun team to watch um, when they're hitting and everything like that. But – in this series, 
it felt like Houston just straight up outplayed them in every single game, except for, um, except for game three, the one that they lost by six. But other than that, the other three games, I felt like they were never close. Um, even, I mean, they, the other three games, they won by a minimum of five runs. So it's hard to really pinpoint exactly, but that lineup top to bottom, Houston's lineup is just unbelievably good. Um, you know, you've got, you basically, like you've got Kyle Tucker hitting in the six and seven spot when on most other teams, he'd be hitting in the probably two to five range. And it, it's very... They, I just feel like they don't really give up at bats. Like watching that game, some of these games, some of these at bats were lasting into double digit pitches for multiple at bats in a row. And it, it's really tough on a pitcher to come back after a 10 pitch at bat and then an 11 pitch at bat to come back and you look up and you've got Carlos Correa staring at, standing at the plate now. Um, again, I Houston, honestly might be the favorite now in the AL. Um, it's really, I just think their lineup is going to prove too hectic for anybody to really, really deal with. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, coming into the series in our preview, we talked about how big uh, pitching was going to be for the White Sox. Um, but overall, like you said, one through nine, uh, that Astros lineup is just stacked. Uh, I mean, they outscored Chicago 31 to 18 overall in the series. Um, and obviously, that uh, that White Sox offense really wasn't able to get anything going until Game Three. Um, but you know, really, the only thing that I'd say about uh, Houston would be why is Zach Granke coming out of the bullpen when he is tried and true your go-to guy in that pitching rotation? I mean, we just we just talked about this with the Rays. What is with this mentality that gives you the idea that you can just run this guy out there? in a relief situation when he's been pitching, when he's been starting all year long and he is your tried and true ace. It, 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 I, I don't understand this. I don't understand it. It's the same thing. Like he, I understand that he missed some starts in September late in the year, but you, you're forcing people or you're forcing players that, are not your best pitchers to then perform like your best pitchers. You have Houston has enough of a bullpen that they traded for at the deadline. They don't need Zach Greinke to be in the bullpen. It like that that third game, for example, when the White Sox gave up or the Houston Astros gave up twelve runs. Zach Greinke threw in that game after. Um, after nine runs had been scored. Why is Zach Granke throwing when nine runs have been scored already? I, I do not understand this. If 
if you want to use Zach Greinke out of the bullpen, it's one thing. But to use him when you're down by so much, I I, I literally, I do not get it. Um, you know, we're to the point where it was you're down by three runs in the in the fourth fifth inning and you're running Zach Ranky out there why i i just i have no idea um he's undoubtedly one of your top 3 starters um you know you've got you've got uh Garcia who's a rookie by the books but not a rookie um and then you've got McCullers who is now hurt and Zach Ranky's still throwing out of the bullpen i you have Stanek, who's been good for you all year. You've relied on uh, Brooks Raley, former Red, and Christian Javier. And you've got, um, if I'm not mistaken, you've got Kendall Graveman as well. And you have um, the All-Star, uh, Ryan Presley, the All-Star. That's, what did, what did I just name? Five, six players? And, and Zach Ranky's coming that ball. I just don't understand the the thought mentality behind it. You have enough guys in the bullpen where if Zach Greinke was your game one or two starter, you could use him when your bullpen gets thin on the back end. But if if he's coming out of the bullpen the whole time, you're you're forcing, you're pushing somebody into the scenario to where um, they they have to they have to throw five innings and they have to why is Zach Ranky coming out of the bullpen? I will never understand that again. Uh, the Tampa Bay thing, you can relate that directly to you, you're just doing things that you haven't done all year and you're forcing people to do things that they haven't done all year. So what happens when the name of Zach Ranky comes in against Boston in the seventh inning in a, and you're leading by one run with a runner on second and he gives up a home run. Or are we then going to keep using Zach Greinke in the bullpen? Well, you have to at that point because he's already thrown late in the game and he's not going to start the rest of the series. I, I have no idea why you're, you're just all of a sudden flipping everything on its head and we're going to try something different. Um, and it's just not – just not how you win long term. Um, you you got to get in that routine and try and true Zach Greinke's a starter. Throw him out there as a starter. He's one of your top three pitchers. If he th- if he doesn't throw well, he just doesn't throw well. It's the same way with um, the Yankees in Boston in that wild card game. You know, Garrett Cole ended up not throwing well. It's not like you were, were not going to start Garrett Cole. I mean, it just – you have to throw your best players in a five-game series. And I feel like coming up in this this next series, it's going to burn them eventually, and it's going to burn them really late. And then we're going to be looking at a whole different series. So now to the NL which I thought was probably the more interesting uh, side of series. Uh, we'll, we'll start out with the Atlanta-Milwaukee one. We'll get to save the best for last. But let's start off with the Atlanta-Milwaukee. So Atlanta wins 3-1 over Milwaukee. Um, really, I just I think this comes down to 
you had what was being named by several people as the top three pitchers, arguably, in the Central, maybe even in the NL, all year. And that I just don't think that they came up as they needed to. Um, I really expected without a an Ozuna-less and an Acuna-less Braves to really be shut down by pow- these power pitchers. And you're really, other than, um, I, w- I was impressed with game one where they only gave up one run. But in the other th- and the other three, they gave up three runs, three runs, and then five runs. Um, to me, that just can't have like you rely on your pitching. You cannot then go out and give up five runs in a postseason game. You're just when you do that, you're just not going to win a whole lot of games, especially because, as we all know, this uh, this Brewers offense is not exactly. Um, they aren't exactly barn burners. They don't score a lot. So when you rely on that all year, you have to in the postseason as well. Um, and when it doesn't show up, it just you're going to lose. Um, and maybe – so th- this is what I thought was the turning point in the series. In game three, in the top of the fifth, um, Freddie Peralta has been dealing this whole game. Um, he's only given up three hits through the first five or through the first four then through the first four. Cause it was the top of the fifth and he only has 57 pitches that he's thrown. No runners were on second and third with one out. They pulled Peralta for uh, Daniel Vogelback. Vogelback ends up grounding to, I believe first base uh, Freddie Freeman throws home, gets the runner at the plate. You don't score anything in that inning. Then the next inning, Adrian Hauser comes in. As fans of the Reds and seeing the NL Central all year, Adrian Hauser is not that good of a pitcher. Um, he really relies on weak contact, and when he doesn't locate, it hurts him a lot. He ended up giving up three runs in that bottom of the fifth inning. And when, again, when the Brewers aren't this spectacular offense, every run that you give up puts you at, it digs you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. You're The Brewers don't score a lot. So when you give up three runs in one inning, to me, that felt like the game was over at that point. Um, it didn't matter. Uh, what else? Like who they threw? What else happened? The Brewers just aren't a good offense. They rely on their pitching, and you pulled your best pitcher, or one of. I don't think there's a best. I think it's a one A, B, and C, but he's a power pitcher. Had only given up three hits. Your bullpen's already stretched thin. I'm just, I don't understand it. And again, to the same thing of. He's one of your best pitchers. Let him pitch. I don't get why you don't let your best pitchers pitch. If I understand the offensive side of it, because you're not a very good offense, you're trying to get every run you can get. But knowing in the back of your mind, 
if you do not score these runs, you are fucked with a capital fucked because now your bullpen is stretched to the limit and you're forcing again pitchers that aren't good to then throw good i i don't understand that move and also devin williams complete dumbass that was your spot to throw in um breaking his hand from punching the I believe a cement wall after they won, um, after they clinched. Um, Very, very stupid. I really think it cost them in this series. Um, Not being able to rely on, again, one of the best bullpen arms in all the National League. So when pitching's your strong suit, you have to rely on that. If you don't, if you don't show up and you don't pitch well, you're just screwed. Okay. Um, so again, probably the most interesting series out of the four LA and San Francisco. Now, probably the most controversial of it all was the ending. And you had a really good idea before. So what are what are your kind of thoughts on this, this check swing and, and kind of what we can do as, I guess uh, baseball fans moving forward. So with as good of a series as it was, you know, it, there was no reason for it to end like that with Gay Morales calling Wilmer Flores out on that strike three check swing. Um, that, that just sucked. It's, it's terrible for baseball. Uh, it's a terrible look for baseball. Um, but there was a lot of talk after the game about implementing um, replay rules uh, for check swings. And to a certain extent, I can understand that because you know you don't you don't want games to end like that. But at the same time, one of the big focuses of Major League Baseball right now to get a bigger audience watching is to shorten game times. And something like that, implementing reviews for check swings will just extend those game times um, by a lot. So, you know, obviously it's a postseason. You don't you don't want that to happen, but I'll go ahead and read you uh, from Baseball Rules Academy, the website that Chris Walsh loves to plug so much on Reds broadcasts. Um, I will go ahead and read to you the check swing, uh, the official check swing ruling. And I quote, it is up to the judgment of the umpire if the batter attempted at a pitch ball. I don't know about you, but that sounds very – it doesn't sound specific at all. Um, so one of the big things that I really would pine for right now would be to, before anything else – 
we need to clarify what exactly a check swing is. And to me, a check swing is you, you swing and you break the plane of the plate and you don't break the plane of the plate. That's what a check swing is. If you break the plane of the plate, that's a, that's a swing and that should be a strike. Flores didn't even come close to breaking the plane of the plate. And quite frankly, that that call by Morales in that situation was egregious. And you know, you can say everything about replay. You know, maybe there's some sort of sensor system, or you can put like a camera um, on home. That's just on home plate the entire time uh, for left-handed and right-handed hitters for check swings. But to me you've got to clarify what exactly a swing and what exactly what exactly is a swing and what exactly isn't a swing this is this is like the NFL and what's a catch you know that that whole uh, catch controversy with Des Bryant a few years ago and quite frankly it's embarrassing for baseball so we got to step up and clarify this rule before anything else yeah like like you said like it was such a fantastic series to watch and then to have it end on a check swing that was not even remotely close um you know it just like you said the rule by definition is just very very vague and it puts i feel like it puts the umpire in a vulnerable spot um where for example, take this situation. Well, MLB can then say, well, he might have gotten the call wrong, but it's not our fault because it was up to his discretion. And then it just, I feel like it's a way to not blame MLB and, and the rules in general. But we really, you just have to make that a, a super distinct, like, especially in a, in a game where you're either out or safe, there's no in between. It, it doesn't make sense to me that there's a rule where there's a lot of in between. Um, it, either it's a strike or it's not. There's no real like gray area there. If if he went, he went. If he didn't, he didn't. So why why is it up to the judgment? So if I if I'm at the plate and I barely move my hands forward, that can be considered by the first base umpire or the third base, whoever um, judgment that I swung. That's unbelievable. That just can't happen. It, it, there's got to be a better way. Um, and, I, and I really hope that seeing this on national television proves that something needs to happen that's not um, – that makes this rule distinct in a way. But one thing that I wanted to add about that San Francisco team, that San Francisco team is unbelievable and defied odds all year long. Um, everybody thought coming in, including myself, that they were going to be probably a bottom five to seven team in baseball. Um you know, you got older, older core, not a lot of proven pitchers. Um, 
but you know you've got this team that's viewed as basically bottom third of the league they came out and won 100 games beat the Dodgers and the Padres in that division it's it was unbelievable to me some of the stuff that they did um, and I, I I really hope that that core stays together and plays well because it's really awesome to see um, let's just say out of the Cubs that got traded, Chris Bryant is um, one of the ones that I really didn't mind because he just played. There wasn't a whole lot of extra stuff. And I feel like San Francisco is the perfect environment for that where they really don't have a lot of like stars and big names and they, they don't do all the extra stuff where it's just they go out and it's really gritty it's really like get runners on, move them over, get them in. Um, and then they have a lot of power pitching in Gosman. Um, you know, basically the Reds rotation, what it would be. But, you know, that that's really an awesome team. And I thought that they're just a tough team and they don't make a lot of mistakes. Um, defensively, hardly any mistakes um, whatsoever. I feel like every ball that was up in the air was getting caught. So um, I really hope next year it's the same kind of scenario. It was really fun to watch down the stretch them go back and forth. Um, now, one thing I will say, I, I really do think that the pitching for San Francisco outperformed what they could, like what they were projected to. And I don't think next year that that's going to happen um alex wood is just not like you've got de scafani alex wood um kevin gossman were your top three if i'm not mistaken and to me i'm just not confident in that as as moving forward um logan webb i forgot about logan webb um Logan Welp is a very young pitcher, so he'll be awesome for them. But, again, you're, I think you're relying too much on guys that just haven't done it. And we'll see how it works out next year, but I really hope that they're in the same spot. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly not the biggest Giants fan in the world. But, um, yeah, that, that rotation one through five is really easy to root for. Um, Webb, like you said, young with a bunch of upside. I mean, he pretty much took control of that series uh, from start to finish. Um, you know, Disco, uh, Gausman, and Wood, former Reds pitchers, uh, you know, got to root for them as well. Um, and then, um, like you said, Bryant, really fun player to watch um out of that big three like you said out of that big three of chicago didn't really mind him all that much because he was just heads down hustle type of guy and uh didn't didn't really uh, listen to all that outside noise and get involved in uh really the rivalry aspect of uh, the red Cubs rivalry but you know he's a fun player to watch um I hate Buster Posey. Um, Brandon Crawford is 
an absolutely phenomenal shortstop. Um, you know, up until this year, he was kind of really struggling with the bat, but um, defensively, he is a guy that a lot of young shortstops should model their game after because he is just an absolute, absolutely phenomenal defender. Um, and really, the I mean, they are really built for the future, not necessarily the pitching aspect, but really um, offensively, I feel like they have a really bright future ahead. And, you know, maybe they re-sign Bryant. Uh, I think he's a free agent at the end of the year, right? I, yes, he is. Um, so I really do believe that he'll re-sign with San Francisco, though. Um, I just, it's the perfect environment, you know, head down, do it. And he's one of those guys where he doesn't really talk a lot. Um, there's nothing really like extracurricular about that team at all. And it's, it's super fun to watch as a baseball fan. But, uh, and then I believe Cueto's still around, hopefully. (laughs) And I mean, how how can you not love Johnny Cueto? So, yeah, a few shots of him in the dugout, but um, during that series, but it was very like hate Buster Posey because of the grand slam that pretty much uh, took away everything, all the hope in the the uh, early early 2010s in in the both those series but you know to this fact i think this is the biggest indicator of what um what we were talking about when we were saying let your best pitchers pitch you know with the freddie peralta situation the um the granky situation things like that so julio arias was slated to start um I believe that fifth game is what it was. Yep. And I think it was the morning of the morning of they announced that Corey Knable was going to get a spot start and they were going to have basically an opener. Um, it ended up being two of them, Knable and Gratterall and then Urias. But again, I I just it boggles my mind that Arias, your twenty game winner, twenty game winner, is now coming out and throwing four innings in the middle of a game um, when he was slated to start. I really feel like it put them at a big disadvantage. It didn't hurt them, but. Again, you're you're stretching yourself thin for the next series. You had to throw uh, Gratterall. You had to throw Trinan. Arias is done for that game. You had to throw Jansen. Sure, you had to throw Scherzer. So currently, as we're recording this, the Braves are playing Atlanta, and count them high. There are it is now two games to nothing Atlanta.
Wow. Who had the walk-off hit? Rosario. Swanson came home from second. <sighs> this is going to be such a fun series to watch them try and come from behind. I think that they're su- they're in such a tough spot. Um, you Again, you, you've stretched yourself so thin for this series now. Um, if if you want to count them, here they are tonight. Uh, tonight, the the Dodgers used. Let's see. The Dodgers used one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different pitchers. Um, and again, you're you're putting yourself at such a disadvantage for the next next couple games, it's going to be so hard to escape this. You just threw Scherzer tonight, so he's not going to be available. You threw Trinan, Urias, Gratterall, Jansen. Again, I'm just not I'm not seeing a path to this pitching staff to where you're throwing them out there every, every single game, every single game, and then expecting the same result every single game. Um, again, you let's say – like for example, um, game one was even worse. Uh, for that, they basically win a whole bullpen game. In game one, you had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different pitchers, and again, sa- same names. You got Knable, uh, Kelly, Jansen, Trinan. So let's just say Trinan and Jansen probably aren't going to be available for the next game. And those are two of your top relievers. Um, and throwing Scherzer and Urias and having an opener in that last San Francisco game really hurt you because then you had Tony Gonsolin trying to save the game for you um, in game one of that series, in the Atlanta series. And it's just not something that Gonsolin does. You're really stretching yourself thin and trying to you're forcing people to be perfect and it's just not going to work out. You don't have a good enough staff to where you can roll out the same four or five pitchers every day and expect people not to catch on. Um, it, you know, what's coming, you know, what's coming out of the pen. It, it's going to happen. I just think that they're, they're going to lose this series and it's going to be a big factor the, the pitching is going to be a huge factor. Right. And, you know, there's really – we've been talking about this all podcast long, it seems like, with the bullpenning. And it's like, why stretch your pitching staff so thin? And not only that, but risk the health of your own players. You know, we saw this early on in the season with the Reds when, you know, we had to throw Antonin Sims because pretty much no one else in the bullpen could get the job done. And we saw how that turned out. Sims was out for a good portion of the season. Anton was out for a good portion of the season, then came back, and now he has to have a second Tommy John surgery. So, you know, as – at a certain point, there are going to be consequences. And, you know, as, as well as, you know, winning and losing, health and the safety of your players is going to be part of those consequences. So the question is, why stretch yourself so thin 
and also risk the health of your players. Yeah, that's a really good comparison. The TJ Anton and Lucas Sims, where we were, you had nobody else and you were rolling them, rolling them out them, rolling them out there every couple of days, uh, every day to every couple of days. And it's just not going to work out for you in the end. You're, you're going to, some something bad is bound to happen at that point. Um, but re- previewing this Boston Houston ALCS, um, it's these are two very very good teams, and honestly, I think they match up very very well. But really, I think Houston offense the Houston offense is really just eventually bound to burst. Um, they're very tough at bats. They don't strike out a lot. Um, let, let's like this. So you're talking Altuve, Brantley, Bregman, Alvarez, Correa, Tucker, and Gurriel. In game two, those seven only struck out three times. In game one, they struck out five times. So, again, I really do think that just not striking out a lot in the postseason is going to work to your advantage so much. And you're forcing pitchers into longer at-bats. You're you're forcing, um, when when they have those longer at-bats, to make better pitches as the at-bat goes on. It's you're really forcing, forcing the hand of the Red Sox at that point. Um, and I, I think Houston has a good enough bullpen to save them throughout the series. Um, proven Graveman, Presley, Stanek, uh, you even got Yimi Garcia in there, who was, I believe, on traded from the Dodgers to Houston um, at this deadline this year, where. I just think they have a good enough bullpen to really um, – to be good enough to let the offense thrive. Right. Um, yeah. Overall, um, I, I do think – I agree with you. I do think um, the Astros take this series for the reasons you pretty much mentioned. Um, just one through nine, they're just too stacked. Um, you know, obviously – the Red Sox, you know, they, they love the big start. They love to score runs early. But, you know, like I mentioned, I think that, that sort of cruise control mentality is going to come back to bite them. Um, you know, the, one through nine, I mean, the Red Sox really aren't that bad either. But, you know, you can't rely on Kike and Schwarber and Bogart's endeavors to get the job done every single time. So, you know, really, I think the Astros will take that series just based on their offense and how stacked their bullpen is alone. Yeah. Um, Kike is not going to go four for five every game. It's just not going to happen. And, uh, you know, J.D. had – J.D. Martinez had four RBIs. I also don't think that's going to happen. Um, one one thing I will say, I am probably one of the biggest fans of Alex Verdugo. I think he's a real spark plug for that team. 
He plays okay defense, and he's able to play okay defense in center, but he's mainly great out and left um, where Kike has really filled in that hole to be uh, to cover a lot more ground than Verdugo. And at the plate, Verdugo is just awesome. I, I really do think he's one of the most underrated hitters in baseball where he just grinds out at bats, hits the ball hard a lot. Um, and I think there's really big things, big things to come. And if they can keep that core together and add a couple pieces here and there, that bullpen is good enough to where it'll mature a little bit. They have a lot of younger guys where I, I do think next year they'll be in the same spot in, in contention for another title. But um, again, I, I just don't see how Altuve, Brantley, Bregman, Alvarez, Correa, Tucker, Guriel as basically all your lineup is is not going to suffice. I mean, Correa's stepped up all postseason, especially in that White Sox series, and it's it's going to be tough. It's a uphill battle if you're if you're Boston. Um, can't again cannot throw Nathan Navaldi every game, so you're really going to have to have to uh, pick your spots basically. Okay, thank you guys for listening. We will see you guys in episode 14.